information there. We are on page 23 in our Essentials of the Christian Faith. We are starting into talking about the church. And this should be kind of exciting because it's talking about you. You, yeah. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, then you are part of the church. So, uh, church has been widely defined by different people. In most people's minds, when they think of a church, what do they think of? Building. Building. Structure. With a, you know, here's a church, here's a steeple, you open the, and there's all the people. Um, so that's the church, right? Is the building? No. Obviously, that is not because the early church didn't have a building. It was a many, many years before they had a building. They met house to house. They met in Solomon's colonnade on the Temple Mount in Jerusalem. But as they traveled around, they really met in homes. So they really didn't associate that with a facility that's really a more modern thing that happened much later. Really, uh, they didn't have a place of meeting uh, in terms of a public building, probably till after Constantine. So that late. So hundreds of years the church survived without buildings. Uh, they did have meeting places that were well known, and even secret meeting places. And um, some of those you can still visit and see where they uh, worshipped in places where they could be safe. Places like caves, because you can sing as loud as you want in a cave, and most people can't hear you. Uh, so they sang in places like that. They gathered out in the open. Uh, uh, in the church of Philippi, they gathered by the river, right? And so that's where they found Lydia and, and uh, there in Philippi. And so uh, I was able to, when we went to uh, Greece to go to that river and it's not big it's really a stream uh, and you can gather there and there are several churches all along that river bank trying to locate where that might have been uh, and so they just went outside the city to uh, a place like that uh, and realized that a majority of Jesus's ministry was not in a building right certainly he did minister in the temple uh, but most of his, and in synagogues, but most of his activity, teaching ministry, was just out in the countryside. So the church is not a building. So what is the church? The body of Christ. Now, we have a couple of ways to define that. Because uh, we'll use the term local church, and we'll use the church universal or Catholic church. And that's all Catholic means is universal. And so uh, I, when I use the term Catholic church, I'm using it in its technical sense that it is the universal church. And usually if I'm talking about uh, what people think of as the Catholic church, I'll use the term the Roman church. And realize that the Eastern Orthodox are also view themselves as the Catholic church, the universal church. What that means the reason they use that term is because it's an exclusive term. It means either you're a part of us or you're not part of the church. And so if you're not in the Roman church, it excludes all of the Eastern Orthodox, it includes all of the Protestant, it includes all of the radicals, because um, that's the fourth category of Christendom. 
So you have Eastern Orthodox, Roman, Protestant, and Radical. All right, so Baptists, Hutterites, Amish, Mennonites, all of those are in the Radical category, historically brethren. All of those would be in the Radical, not in the Protestant. They didn't participate in the, in the uh, Protestant Reformation. That would be your Lutherans, your... Meth, yeah, your Methodists, your Reformed Church, all of those are in that grouping of Protestant churches. So when we use the term Catholic throughout this study, please understand I'm talking about the universal church. I usually don't use it because of the confusion, but I think it's worth noting. And so letter A we have here in our study is the universal church, the body of Christ is the term used in Scripture, the bride of Christ, the Catholic church. Uh, it includes all those from Pentecost to the rapture who are followers of Jesus Christ. And so uh, it is the, when we talk about the gathering of the saints in heaven, uh, referring to the church age saints, it is all those who receive Christ from Pentecost to the rapture. Uh, and, uh, and maybe even, yeah, we're going we're gonna to limit that. Um, the question is about what about the 144,000 during the seven years of God's wrath? Are they part of the church? Well, they are kind of jointly membered, but so are all the Old Testament saints. So we're going to talk about them, but we usually refer to the church as all of those from that point. So it's not only universal in terms of worldwide, and therefore believers in, in the Philippines are my brother, and we are one church with them, but it is all the time of the church age. So it's not all over the place. It's also all over the, this period of time is the church. Now, the Bible has these terms it uses, and normally it is referring, uh, using those terms to refer to the larger universal Catholic church. However, uh, most of the instruction, when you find it in Scripture, is really pointed to local churches. Local churches are the recipients. That's why you hear in the names of the letters to the churches. Okay, uh, The Church of Smyrna, the Church of Ephesus, the Church of Philippi. So we need a second definition of this word uh, for a working knowledge of how the New Testament views the church. And that is the local church. And this is the, really the word, what the word means. Ecclesia means a called out assembly. Okay, that's what the word means. The Greek word for church is ecclesia. That's why we call this ecclesiology, the study of the assembly, the called out assembly. And so you cannot have a church and not assemble. Because <laughs> that's what the word means. The word means assembly. Uh, it's inherently in the very name of what God calls us is that we will assemble. And whenever we have people that are dismissing the assembly of ourselves together, they're really dismissing that we are even a church. And that's what's going on now uh, on an incredible level of churches not being churches. They can't be called churches because they're not assembling. We are not a called out assembly. So you can't refer to yourself as a church if you're not assembled. Uh, and so, not in the sense of being a local church. And so, these are earthly manifestation of the universal church, but only as they are comprised of true believers. 
<clears throat> and this is how God most often talks in his scriptures about. Uh, he, he works ex- extensively here, and our study is going to be focused on this. <clears throat> we are not neglecting the universal church. Um, I don't want you to think that everything we say doesn't apply to them, for certainly we have an extensive involvement for a very small church in a lot of churches in other places, and we are incredibly dependent upon our brethren from previous generations to bring us your scriptures, to bring us many of our traditions, to bring us um, the liberties that we have in this country. We are incredibly indebted, and uh, but we're also uh, very much burdened with the need to carry it on for the next generation. And hence, that's why we have children's ministries. We recognize we have a responsibility to uh, be examples to them and to preserve Scripture for them and to communicate good doctrine to them that we have our role to play uh, in the history of church. And we want to uh, be careful to do that. But uh, it is how God works through the local church that is the the primary way the Bible talks about it, but it's not the only way, because certainly it refers to the bride of Christ and the larger body from all peoples, tribes, tongues, and nations. Those are great terms, by the way, to refer to the church, uh, that we are out of, out of, ecclesia, we're called out, assembly, the ek is called out, we are called out from all people, tribes, tongues, and nations. And all those divisions of man, we are called out of them into this new division of men called the assembly. Okay, so we are the assembly of people from all people, tribes, tongue, and nation, because we are unique to those four things. And so even in heaven, it says there will be people of every tribe, tongue, people, nation, and there will be the body of Christ. So we are the body. Uh, and we'll see that. Uh, put into practice in local churches. Any questions on those definitions of terms? All right. Let's move into some some information about it and then hopefully some uh, discussion on some things that are built upon what we've already studied. What are we here for? What is the church's purpose And we break it down to three categories, and these are not in any specific order. So don't think that the first one on the list is our first priority, and the second one is our second priority, and the third is our third priority. These are simply a way of studying them. Uh, They are simultaneously all priorities for us. And in fact, they enhance and develop each other. They're interdependent. If you do evangelism and nothing else, you are doing a disservice to your purpose as a church. And I've had people say, well, when, you were, when I was a missionary, you're a church planner, you should only do evangelism. And I'm like, well, you don't know anything about starting churches then. If we only did evangelism, then we would have wishy-washy churches that as soon as I went and started another church, they wouldn't have the solid doctrine to be able to stand and survive the next guy who comes in that would just take them hither and thither. I can't just keep preaching the gospel. I must establish them in by teaching them to observe everything Christ has commanded. So we're making disciples. 
and we're going to define evangelism. But neither can worship be our only purpose. We're just here to worship. We're just here to praise his name. Well, but if you're never discipling, if you're never evangelizing, uh, you do a disservice. You can't really worship in that environment. And so we're going to talk about these three E's. And, and again, the order isn't critical, and nor does it trying to say these are more important. We're just doing the order of your experience. So you need an evangelist to come to Christ. You need the church to do evangelism. And this is consistent throughout God's word. Hopefully we're well attuned to this. Uh, you should know Matthew 28, 19, especially go and make disciples. It was based upon all powers given to me in verse 18 of Matthew 28, uh, that you're going to make disciples. And making disciples is the primary verb there, not go. It's technically having already gone, make disciples of all nations. So we are making them into followers of Jesus Christ, a disciples, a follower. This is the this is the description of evangelism. Any questions on that? What is evangelism? What is the, the evangel? Good news. You're a carrier of a, of a, a message, a good news. And so we're out there with a good news message. That is that you're a dirty, rotten sinner, deserve to go to hell. But the good news is, okay, if you don't know the bad news, you don't need the good news, right? You're not going to be responsive. Uh, well, why is that good news that we can get saved? I'm saved from what? I don't think I need to be saved from anything, all right? So throwing me a life preserver when I'm on the shore, I'm saying, well, how is that good news? Right? If I'm on shore standing there and you throw a life preserver at me and bonk me, you know, and, and I'm like, why would you do that? I don't need that. But if I'm out to, in deep water, out to sea, and I've fallen off a boat and you throw off a ship out in the middle of the ocean, you throw me a life preserver, I'm like, oh, thank you. Because I, I, I can swim for a little while, I can tread water, but, but a life preserver is really only going to save my life in the long term. And so we have to understand that. So that's the good news. Evangel means good news. So you're not going out there um, with a horrible message, but you're going out there with a message that's rejected, not because of its hideousness, but because people don't want it. Because they don't recognize they have a need. Okay? And so evangelism is the purpose of the church. How do we do evangelism? All right, you're going to share the good news. Good news is, is how do you share news? Well, you do it in print. You get a newspaper. You do it by the, your social media. That's one way to communicate. You do it by conversation. Uh, what's the news? You know, what's going on in your family? Uh, we do it in a variety of ways to communicate this message. How, now, that's, now, whose responsibility is it? When we say that the church's purpose is evangelism, what does that mean for you and me, both individually and as a body, as a local church? Right. 
Okay, let's talk about programmed evangelism. That is that it is purpose was evangelistic. Now I'm going to tell you something startling to you. When Sunday school was started, it was started as an evangelism program for churches. The earliest ages of Sunday school was all evangelistic. Uh, and it was built upon bringing in the children. That's why it's called Sunday school uh, of the community. And, and, but it morphed. And this is what happens in almost all programming of the church. Um, they often begin as evangelistic movements, evangelistic in their purpose, but then they go and, and kind of morph into other areas. And now we don't really view Sunday school as evangelistic at all, do you? You don't see that as an evangelistic arm of our church. But in the early Sunday school, 120 years ago, when you go to the 1900s and you see the, the introduction of the idea of Sunday school, yes, Sunday school is a pretty new concept in, in ecclesiastical circles, in church circles. It was an evangelism program. It was all about outreach. They did busing. Once buses came on, you were to collect these kids. They were just running around the streets doing nothing on the Lord's Day morning, and we brought them in and evangelized them. Uh, what do we use now to reach children? We're, we usually have children's programs out during the week. Awana, uh, uh, what's the one with Patch the Pirate Clubs? Um, Word of Life. You have, huh? VBSs. We have all these other programs that we use to try to be evangelistic toward particularly children. But Sunday school began that way. And it's easy for programmed evangelism to drift away from its purpose, its, its declared purpose. And it takes effort and energy to maintain that. We want to keep it evangelistic. And we try to build into our children's club evangelism. We tell, we tell kids, we want you to bring your family, bring your friends, bring that. You, and we actually have that in our award structure. We don't want to lose track of the evangelism. And so certainly we should have programmed evangelism. But some of this has changed, hasn't it? What are some of our prime evangelism opportunities? At work, in your life, your personal life, is you have much more opportunities to be evangelistic. Now, you can invite people to church, but our church services are not fundamentally designed for evangelistic reasons. And that's because it's not our only purpose. If our only purpose was to share the gospel and get people saved, then I would, we would have that all the time, and all you'd hear are the same message every Lord's Day. And maybe some of you have been in such churches that you just get another version of the gospel every week. And people enjoy that. Uh, because they, they like it, because they got that check marked, and it's not, it doesn't convict you anymore because you're saved, and now you just want to bring your friends or elders, you invite them to church to receive the gospel. And certainly that was the case uh, during uh, periods of time in our church history. But evangelism in society changes over time. That's what I'm trying to communicate to you. The concept of how we do evangelism programmatically as a body changes. It must. Paul changed it over the course of his ministry. 
Uh, and every church throughout church history must uh, look at their society. How do we reach them with the gospel? So my question is, how do we reach people with the gospel today? Is it effective to invite them to church? Well, what about now, this year? It's illegal. Let's be, let's be frank with it. It's illegal in our state right now. That doesn't mean you shouldn't do it. <laughs> I'm okay with civil disobedience. But recognize you're asking unbelievers to be civilly disobedient without a cause. That is, they don't understand. They just see that as rebellion. And, but uh, so now that's one of the horrific things that you don't talk about much is what this has done to reaching people for Jesus Christ. You can't really invite them to church. Not easily. You can, but you're going to have to do it very carefully. And by the way, that's not new. The early church was very much like that. You had to be very cautious who you talked to about your meeting places because you met in secret. You were down deep in the catacombs of the city. You met in the sewers. You met in caves. You met out on, on, uh, in, in little eddies and valleys and, and mountainous areas, remote places. So you had to be careful because you expose yourself and your whole congregation. So that's not new to the church. But the churches, when it comes to evangelism, it, there's not a set format of how to do it. It must be, I need to get the good news out. What is the mechanism we use today? Well, how should we be doing it? But one thing has never changed. And that we talked about this morning. You are the most, your life is the most powerful evangelism tool available, is your life. When we live righteously and godly in this present world, we bring attention to ourselves that there's something different about us. This is the most effectual evangelism. Is it the only kind? No. There is certainly what I call random evangelism, um, and Paul did that. You know, he walks into Mars Hill, he walks around, and, and his evangelism on Mars Hill is very different than his evangelism in the synagogue on the Sabbath, wasn't it? Very different, a different approach. He comes in, he's going to engage these philosophers and these, the, these pagans, they're not really pagans, they're, they believe in all these gods. And so he's going to engage them very differently than he engaged the Jews in the synagogue and the God-fearing Gentiles who listened outside the synagogue to the, to the messages. Very different kinds of evangelism. You ever thought about going into another church to do evangelism? Think about that. Paul did that. He went into a synagogue to do his evangelism. Try that someday. Should we go walk over to the Mormon church over here to do our evangelism? Now you start, well, they would not like that. Well, now you know how the Jews felt about Paul coming into their synagogues with that message. And everybody liked what they heard and walked out with him and, and wanted to hear more the next Sabbath. Um, and so that was a mode that he used. Did he, was he able to continue that? Not always. So we need to be mobile. But one thing never changes, your personal testimony, your life is the strongest consistent evangelism tool available to us. And then as a church, standing for righteousness, for holiness, for Christ, and for truth, 
again, I think is the most powerful. We're to be a light, a light that penetrates the darkness, both planned and also, you know, just trusting the Lord. Under evangelism come missions. Missions should be in this category as well, that we are using our resources. And by resources, I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about your prayers. I'm talking about your people, your time, your energies, that we are uh, advancing the mission of Christ's commandment to go to all nations. And so in, in many respects, we are involved in evangelism uh, in India. We are involved in evangelism in Haiti. It's very exciting what's going on in Haiti, uh, but we want to make see it sustained. Uh, we are involved in evangelism in the Philippines. But again, we've seen this great dampening of evangelism all over the earth in this year. So we need to explore how can we do that. And, and we need to be mobile in our evangelism, is to get the good news out to people. And so I'm not a, against using social media to do that, to share your testimony, um, but, I, uh, but rather than just sharing a, a, a picture or a meme or something like that, is that meme Mem. Meme. Because the E makes the E makes it say its name. So it should be meme. Anyway, there were, it, it should be more substantial than that. It should be personal. Um, but we should have this personal evangelism going on, engaging people. Any questions on evangelism? What's entailed? Making disciples, bringing them to become followers of Jesus Christ, what Matthew 28 says. It's not just pray the sinner's prayer, put a notch on my spiritual belt, and move on. It's make disciples, teaching them. So that brings us to our second one, edifying the saints, the believers. Edification, what does edification mean? To build up. So now we've got, we've given them the good news, they've responded by faith. Now our responsibility to one another is to build up the believers, to strengthen each other. And again, remember, what is the definition of church? What does the word ecclesia mean? Called out assembly. So, how do we fulfill this function? Right, so it's the teaching ministry of the church is, is what we usually depend upon for the discipleship element of taking, and we're going to say we're going to go through the scriptures, we're going to see what it says, we're going to apply it to our lives, we're going to encourage and, and rebuke and correct one another till we become more and more conformed to the image of Christ. We want to become more Christ-like. And we're going to do that like iron sharpens iron. Have you ever watched Iron Sharpen Iron? Any of you? It's a very hot process. And it's a lot, there's a lot of friction involved. And most of us are too politically correct to enjoy that kind of friction. But it's necessary. It's necessary sometimes to have heated discussions about our Christian walk where yes I might get a personally offended I might even pout oh I pout all the time my kids know that okay and and um, I might I might get mad at you and stomp off but the fact is it has to be done and so discipleship isn't just positive teaching. It's about rebuking, correcting, instructing, righteousness, doing all things necessary to sharpen them and say, hey, you know, you're missing the mark. You're coming up short. 
You're not being holy as he is holy. You're not being different. And, and to really challenge one another, and as well as the encouragement aspect. And so that's what Sunday school pro- program-wise, our church focuses on that in the preaching of the gospel, uh, the preaching of the word, uh, the teaching of the word in environments like this. Uh, a lot of churches use small group studies. We've done that in the past uh, extensively. And our Sunday school is really built on that, that we have people, our children, if they go through our Sunday school program, get Genesis through Revelation. Between junior church, Sunday school, they get it. They get all of it. That they Now, not at a deep level, but they get that foundation. And so we strengthen. We're growing those roots through that. But we don't want to discount prayer and other ways of encouraging each other and strengthening each other that are outside the programs of the church. Certainly we take this very seriously, but you should take it seriously, personally. You see, it's not just my job. I know you pay me to do this, but it's not just my job to edify you. It is your job to edify each other. So it's not just Bill's job to teach God's word. It's every parent's job here to teach your children God's word and to be an example to them. You have the primary responsibility in your family, men particularly, to be the spiritual guide, teacher, instructor, example to your wife and to your children. This is what godliness looks like, sounds like. Uh, This is what 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 it entails. And so you have a responsibility there to be the uh, teacher and encourager and uh, parents with their children. You have the primary, and I'm a secondary, or maybe even tertiary. I'm probably uh, maybe third line. Maybe you have a better relationship with other people in our church than you do with me. And then you should listen to them. And I'm okay with that mentorship role between uh, a mature believer and a less mature believer. Uh, I don't have to be the center of those relationships. It doesn't have to be revolve around me, my circle of influence, or my. Uh, but I do have responsibility to shepherd the flock. Um, but it's interesting because I was a shepherd once when I was a little guy, um, and I didn't have to grab every sheep to lead them. You know how many sheep I had to grab? One, sometimes two. A lot of times I'd walk around two sheep. Usually they walked me because I was a little guy. <laughs> um, but I'd grab influential sheep, and I would take them, and I'd start walking with them, and pretty soon the other sheep that they had influence on said, hey, where is he going? They're not watching me. They're actually watching their fellow sheep. And they're going to go with them. And they're just going to be, and you can just take them from pasture to pasture, really just with one, one or two, take one or two. And then that one, and then they all are watching that. And so I don't have to personally carry everyone along because you should be influencing each other to stay as the flock of God, as the flock, as the fold of God moving along, following Jesus Christ. Because really I'm a sheep too, I'm just, Christ is the shepherd, I'm the under-shepherd, and, and have that responsibility. So we have a requirement to edify, to build up, to strengthen until we come to unity. That's the Ephesians passage listed there, right? And uh, that's Ephesians 4, let's go ahead and look at that real quick. I haven't had you open your Bibles yet, that's shameful. 
<clears throat> you don't have to trust me. I have all the verses here. I hope you look these up before you come. Let's go ahead and read Ephesians 4, 11 through 13. Someone want to read that for us? And we're getting ready verse 4, that we no longer be children tossed to and fro. And so that establishment. So here's how this verse is broken, this passage is broken down. He has given these officers listed there to equip the church. You see it there? So we are for the equipping of the saints, the holy ones, for the work of the ministry. So it's not that we do all the work of the ministry, it's that we are equipping you to do the work of a ministry to each other and to the world. World's evangelism, but to each other. So I want to equip you to minister to them. And I want to equip you to minister to them. And I want to equip you to minister to them. And so every member should be a minister of something to one another. This is why God gives us spiritual gifts. We study under the Holy Spirit. Is so, we are, so we are coming to the evangelists, apostles, prophets, pastors, teachers, looking to be equipped. So my job is to give you the training to minister within our local church and the Catholic church. Okay, both. So I want you to be able to minister to people in the Philippines or to in, in India. You should be able to minister to them and to other Christians you know that aren't part of this local assembly. And I hope you enjoy getting into conversation. I know they say don't ever talk about politics or religion, but those are probably, that, that's a lie because those are the two things you probably should be talking about mostly with people. Because you have nothing to do with the weather. And sports is irrelevant. Becoming more and more irrelevant every day, isn't it? <sighs> Can't even do it in this state. That's <laughs> Uh, so we should be talking about this. We should be engaging. So unity comes when we all do our part to minister to each other. And so the question is, the requirement for edification doesn't fall just on my shoulders. It falls on your shoulder. What are you doing? Are you even looking to be equipped to minister to others in your church? What are you doing for them? What, what, we always go to church and say, what are they going to do for me? Which is completely upside down. But that's what our American mentality is. What is this church going to do for me? What is this program going to do? Do you have a program for my family, for my kids? And instead of coming to church, what can I do here? And I love the Schmitz coming in and saying, I love families like that that come in. They're mature in the Lord. And one of the first things they'll say is, well, we need to be involved. What can we do? And that, that should be all of us. All of us should say, what, what, should, what am I doing in this church? Not by, why am I here? But what am I doing for this church? Because I'm here to minister to them. How am I doing it? And there's a host of ways to do it beyond teaching God's word. There are many, many needs. This morning, I got to come out here in my Sunday best and do a dirty job. You know why I had to do that dirty job? Because we have some clown that wants to come every Saturday night and do donuts in our parking lot and spray the whole front of our church sidewalk with stones. So I come out here, oh, get the broom. Here I am, my suit and shoes. And 
it, it just, it's not how I want to come to church. You know, it's not the first thing I want to do when I come out because I'm the first one here. So you want to minister to me? My, my, there's people in my family that minister to me because that every Lord's Day, I don't have to worry about milking the goat and feeding them. It's, not, it's off my agenda for this day. I can focus on my ministry. And that's why we have deacons. That's why we have opportunities for ministry. So don't think, oh, if I'm not a teacher, I'm not helping others being built up and strengthened. It would really, you know, be a ministry to do other things. Please expand your concept of that, how to encourage and strengthen people for them to do things that maybe you can't do, and you can do things that, so they don't need to. This is the concept of a body. Every member does its part. And if the hand doesn't work, it puts a lot of pressure on the rest of your body to make up for that. Chop off your hand, because that's what you're doing when you say, I'm not going to do anything in the church. Chop off your hand and see, can you still live? Can you still function? Is it harder? Yes, you're making it harder for everyone else in your church when you choose not to minister. We are supposed to be equipped to minister for this, so that we can all reach unity in our walk with God, our faith, and our knowledge of Jesus Christ. Okay, let's go to letter C. Any questions there on edification? Don't just think it's only the programs that teach that edify, because there are other things that edify too. Yes? Yep, just conversing to engage people. Where are you at? What do you, what's, how can we pray for you? How can we help you? And then back it up. Good. Okay. Let's go on to our third purpose, or our first purpose, but the third one we're going to look at. <laughs> our other purpose, the next one in our list here, and that is exalting the Lord. And we often use the word worship here, and that's a misnomer. Don't use that word for your exaltation part of our purpose. We are here to exalt the Lord, to lift up his praises, to sing them, to declare them, uh, and do that together. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 13. Well, we're in Ephesians, right? Let's just stay in Ephesians. Let's read that one. Ephesians 1, verse 12. And there are some, and I think that's the not the right passage. Is it? Oh, to the praise of his glory, yeah. And so that we who first trusted in Christ should be to the praise of his glory, the praising his name, the glory of God. Go to Hebrews Chapter 13, that's one I really want to center in on. Hebrews 13, 15, towards the end of the book. It says, therefore, by him, let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God, that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But do not forget to do good and to share for such sacrifice God is well pleased. Obey those who have rule over you. So there's other things on the list uh, and also to pray for us, he says later on. Uh, but look at this, that we should continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks. 
And so that is one of our purposes. And, and Ephesians says that we should sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, making melody in our hearts. And so part of our purpose is to exalt God through worshipful praise, statements of thanksgiving, and that that should be regular. That our song isn't just, well, we, we have that programmed into our church. We have a music ministry. Um, you, you could choose not to participate. You could choose to sit there and, and keep your mouth shut. Um, but then you're being disobedient to the saying that you should be continually offering to God a sacrifice of praise. Now, some of you to sing is a sacrifice for you. I understand that. Okay. Um, I grew up with that concept. So I know. Um, but uh, let it be a sacrifice. Uh, a sacrifice is something that costs you something. And I say, oh, I'm embarrassed. Well, that's your pride. You should never be embarrassed about offering a sacrifice to God of praise. And so we praise him, not only through song, but through your statements of thanksgiving. Praise the Lord. And we are reticent to do that in a lot of our circles. Our, you, you guys aren't very responsive, frank, frankly, with your mouth while I'm preaching. Um, most, some Baptists are. If you go to some Baptist churches, you always got like one or two guys, praise the Lord, amen, preach it, brother. And, and, that, and it can be a little distracting sometimes, especially if it's just random. <laughs> I've been in churches where there's just a guy that randomly says that, I'm like, I'm in the middle of a sentence. You don't even know what the point is. Praise the Lord. You know, I was like, you want to hear the rest of it? <laughs> Maybe you want to change your mind. Um, so, Notice that the focus is on giving thanks to God, praise to his glory, that we are exalting him with our mouth. We do that not just through song, but we do have a command to sing. Sing is certainly one of those. Uh, we have, might have that command to do other forms of speech. Uh, and, uh, but I want you to notice that it is your lips that praise him. The, it is the fruit of your lips giving thanks to him. There are other ways that you can sacrifice to God, um, and certainly those God is pleased with, uh, but when we come to exaltation, our focus is usually on our lips. And so uh, I'm okay if, if you don't know what to say. Um, one of the best ways to praise the Lord, I think, is to read Scripture out loud. Now you don't have to come up with the content, and you know the content is good. Because it's right out of God's word. Unless you're quoting from like Job Street Friends or something. You know, don't, don't use their words. Sure, just come on and, and use those verses. Uh, but use God's word. Uh, in your prayers, prayers are the fruit of your lips. They should be praised and thanksgiving should be in your praying. And you should be prepared in heart and, and mind to uh, pray and to lead in prayer. And again, uh, we men who lead our homes should lead our homes as men of prayer. It should be our lips that our children hear praising God. My children should hear me say, thank you, Lord. Okay? Praise the Lord. And I say that, you know, praise the Lord. You know, we got out of this mess. You know, at the end of a good day of hard work, and sometimes at a day of hard day with no good work, um, we should praise the Lord. 
and they should hear us say that. It is the fruit of your lips that God is pleased to hear. And so this is corporately, as, as a body, as a group, we do this. And, but also, on an individual level, you are, the, you are the people of God. Your lips should praise him, should give him glory, and not take it for yourself. We should exalt the Lord. And so this includes not only our singing, uh, our testimony time, um, our uh, conversation, um, but our prayer time, uh, all those things where we have our fellowship time, our fellowship time, conversations, fellowship, um, but all of those and in our communication within our relationships. Um, But how are we helping our church praise God? Sometimes it just means to come in and share what God's been doing in your life. We have 5, 5.30, we, and 5.30, it is, it, we should be ashamed that our prayer time is a half hour. We should be ashamed of that. It should take a half hour for us just to recount everything God's done for us this week and then go to prayer for a half hour. But we cram the requests and the prayer time into 30 minutes. Um, and congratulate ourselves for that. Uh, but when we come to gather together and you say, well, God's done this, God's done that, and that helps all of us to praise him. Every time you have an answer to prayer, we should be rehearsing that. We should have the fruit of our lips to praise the Lord. And this isn't just boasting. It is about, well, praise the Lord for this, praise the Lord for that. And also, prayer requests uh, that what is God doing? I, I have a decision to make. I want to honor God and and I want direction, and, and uh, I want discernment, things like that, that we use our lips to say, I'm depending upon God. I'm asking you to help me depend upon God. That is a form of exalting the Lord together, is to share our burdens one with the other. And it also lends itself to edification, to building each other up. So we should be exalting the Lord. We should be seeing with all of our Heart with all of our lungs, diaphragm, and voice box, all of that. We should be singing, putting it out there. You say, well, I don't sing very good. I, I don't think God cares. How do you know the rest of us aren't the ones singing bad? I don't, I've never heard God sing. Um, when I go to India and hear their singing, it grates on me. It, it does. It just... But to them, it's beautiful. To me, it's like, uh, how much longer are they going to keep this up? It's all very high-pitched and very, it's just, to me, it, it's not good music. But they're praising the Lord, and I will not condemn them for that. To their, And then I go to other countries, and, and so I go to Haiti, and how they praise the Lord, you know, I, I confused sometimes it's confounding, and it's like, is, what is going on here? Um, but... But you go to the Philippines, and it's just American. That's all it is. It's just America from the 70s. And <laughs> that's what the church is there uh, because of the strong influence of, the, of American missionaries there and American government since World War II. And, uh, but different cultures are going to do that differently. And so just because you have an Indian voice instead of an American voice doesn't mean you can't sing. 
We should be praising the Lord with our lips. Any questions on that? Yeah, well, you know, I don't discourage children that want to sing. I will never discourage that. Um, I'll train them in it, how to do it better. But don't let that be discouragement. If I come and, and you know, if you want to say, how can I sing better? I'll train you. I can train you to sing better. Everyone, singing, there is talent, but then there is training. And even the most talented singers got training to get better. And so every voice can be trained to sing because God has designed you that way. You can sing better. You need practice and training. It's a skill. It's a capacity. And some are better than others naturally, but all of us are capable of it. Except for the mute. So they do this. They do it with their hands. Right? Well, they don't do that. They don't clap because they can't hear that. What do the deaf do? They... Um, yeah, this. Okay. So they can communicate. Praise him is the fruit of your lips. Uh, we should do it continually, giving thanks to his name, and it's exalting of his name. All right, so that's our purpose. We're trying to do that. These are the three things I try to lead our church in doing. I, can, I have responsibility as a, for the, this assembly that we try to engage these. But you have a responsibility, men, for your homes, and each of you as followers of Christ to do it for yourself. Am I pursuing this? Because you are a part of the body of Christ, the universal church. And so you should be doing that um, in your sphere of influence as, uh, and be as committed to it as I am trying to do it in our, this assembly. And when we fail, we need to pick it up a little bit, pick up our game, and say, we're not doing enough of this. we got to, you know, and again, uh, probably the one that needs our greatest attention in terms of being uh, adjusted to our circumstances is how do we do evangelism. Um, but the exaltation and the edification, I think, are established for us that we need all of these, and there's a little more breadth there. Don't have this narrow view that only the teaching of God's Word is edifying. That is just not the case. Um, it is very edifying. It is strengthening. There's a lot, and good content can do that, but it, it needs to be balanced with example and, and um, other ministries to encourage one another. Let's have a word of prayer. We'll get out of here tonight. Lord God, we do thank you for your love for us. And we thank you for uh, calling us out, to inviting us into your family out of the world, and then to call us not into a private environment, but a, an assembly, a church, that we can be brethren with those we have never met over many centuries now and be closely related to them. And we thank you for uh, making us a new people who were once not a people into a new nation. And Lord, we pray that we might 
adhere ourselves more and more to the culture of your word rather than the traditions of our world. Lord, we thank you for this local assembly. Lord, help us to keep assembling. It's becoming more and more difficult, but you said it would, and we should be prepared for that. And Lord, our prayer is that we might make a commitment afresh to these purposes you have for us, to share the good news with those that we encounter and to look for opportunities and to make opportunities to share the gospel with people. That we might take up the responsibility for one another in this local assembly and for our brethren outside of this assembly that we know are followers of Christ and, and that we can minister to in various ways. And Lord, uh, in our homes, that we might take up those roles that you have established that we might recognize that they are of so much greater priority for the well-being of our children and our wives uh, than anything else we do. Is their spiritual care. Lord, help us to renew an understanding of that and bring that into focus in our lives. And then, Lord, um, help us to praise you better and to continue to praise you. And we see the world wanting to silence those that want to speak the truth in love, that want to make us unthankful and unholy. Lord, help us to resist that, that we don't use our lips to complain. Lord, help us to use our lips to praise and to strengthen, edify, and encourage to lift up one another, to pray for one another. Lord, um, guard our lips that they might honor you. We thank you again for your word and the opportunity to study it tonight together. In Christ Jesus' name, amen.